if I if I may just jump back to that story of Uzzah in the in the the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, the compassion there and the patience God had there was extreme. If we if we know what was supposed to happen. Welcome to the Pondercast, where we think deeply about the Bible and theology. Let's get pondering. So today, Perry, I thought there's no real prelude to it. I don't know why we, I thought I wanted to do this, but I thought it'd be cool to kind of tackle the question of the wrath or the adjustment, the justice of God in the Old Testament. Because I think um, you're kind of alluded to it with the golden calf and kind of these, these different stories. But I think we, if we look, when people look at the Old Testament, we view God, I feel like it almost looks like a different character. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard the idea that God acts so harshly in the Old Testament. God's so mean in the Old Testament, so brutal in the Old mm-hmm. Testament. Or in the New Testament, he's all love and patient, right? And it's, it's all this kindness and all this love. Mm-hmm. And, Lovey-dovey. And yeah, and then the Old Testament, it's all mean father that's going to crush people and smite mm-hmm. people and mm-hmm. strike down people. And there's none of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And so today I kind of want, I kind of want to wrestle with that idea of the wrath of God in the Old Testament. Like, how do we, how do we deal with it? What do we do with it? Because it's there. We can't just ignore it. Well, we can't ignore it, but I think that'd be foolish. I think we should just like look at it and kind of stare right in the face and see what we can actually make of it. And so part of that, I think, to start, I just want to look at the idea of what, we, what I just said, the idea of the character of God seems to change from the Old to the New Testament. And because this is kind of a place where we say, well, you can think differently. We should probably live by that. So <laughs> is there any room in theology to actually say the God of the Old Testament is different from the God in the New Testament? Or is that, is that, is there room for that? Or is that just straight up heresy in your view? Yeah. In my, in my view. Um, yeah, yeah. It's well, a good, I, the reason, it's, the reason uh, I say your view, because I mean, Yes. Sorry, the reason I say your view, because I mean, people, I scholars say, oh yeah, God's totally different in the Old Testament. It's like, right. okay, well, obviously that's a belief out there. So in your view, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Sorry to well, and I was, I was saying it a bit, uh, a bit pejoratively, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a good point that you, you're bringing up our mission statement of thinking differently. Uh, and, yeah. and, I, and I wanted to, I, I was thinking about that a little bit about, is there room to think about God differently uh between the the old and new testament i'm open to hearing people's opinions uh but i i just think that there is some parameters there where it seems like god is working a bit differently in the old testament versus the new testament but is his character i don't think his character is different in the old and the new testament we see very much that i i think if you're reading the scriptures from a view of, I want to know who God is and I want to submit to this God of the Bible. I think you're going to see that his character is consistent, but we just have to understand how that uh, is consistent. I'll think about, uh, I want to think about say in Hebrews where it says Jesus Christ is the same today, uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And I think that reflects the character of God and that has to do with, I mean, Jesus is eternal. He is a member of the Godhead. The author of Hebrews wasn't trying to articulate 
theology there. He was trying to encourage his, his congregants. But I think it does contribute to the fact that God is an eternal being and that he is the same. So, yes, there can be a bit of wiggle room to talk about, to talk about how God is different, but I don't think his character is, I don't think his, uh, his, who he is doesn't change. If God can change, then is he actually God? If God can right. say, so our- if God can say, I'm going to be mean here, but I'm going to be nice here. Does God have a, is God bipolar? <laughs> Not to use that well, pejoratively. I don't, I don't, I don't want to offend people by yeah. using that, but is God, does he have mood swings? Like, how can we trust that this God is not going to change his mind? Well, not, but that's exactly the, the problem here. Like, by saying God is all wrath, not all wrath, but mostly wrath in the Old Testament and mostly love in the New Testament. I mean, that's, you're basically saying God is bipolar. Like, like you said, not to, not to just offend people, but that's kind of the connotation you get from it, right? There's two different moods. There's two different sub-personalities almost here which is i i mean i have to strongly disagree with that just because it's like would you, would you think it's like different attributes are highlighted like would you say oh yes um god's wrath is highlighted more we see it more in the old testament than the new oh, yeah. like and and perhaps that's just because the new testament it talks about the wrath of god in revelation we just not there though right like it's not hasn't happened yet and so maybe we 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 don't view it as a history because it's not history yet to us anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I just, I think that, the, so just to be clear, the God in the Old Testament has to be the same as the God in the New Testament. It has to be the same God, right? We, if it's not, then I think that goes against what Scripture kind of tells us, I think, right? Especially because Jesus references the Old Testament, says that he's what they were talking about. And I, I think it's, it's pretty clear that it's the same God, maybe different attributes are kind of highlighted in the character of God um, from the old to the new. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And, and it's true. I mean, there seems to be a lot more deaths from human action, like from human, human problem, human situations, like humans doing things where God deals out wrath. Hmm. And we see that lots in the Old Testament, but I don't know if we see it at all in the New Testament, right? We see oh, we, um, I, people I die. Would, people I would th- argue that we definitely see God's wrath in the New Testament, and it's and it's and it's hard to, to wrestle with, like, uh, because we we almost think that the God in the New Testament. It, it's easy to think that the God in the New Testament isn't a God of judgment because He judged Jesus, but think about Ananias right. and Sapphira. Uh, they lied to the Holy Spirit and they were struck dead oh, yeah. right there. Right. Uh, yeah. Even um, with King Herod, when he was persecuting Christians and then he was struck dead there. What, what Luke is trying to show there is mm. God's, is, is God's divine judgment in history. But we don't, but we just don't seem to see those kind of things happening where we where or, or we try not to, we, we've separated we've separated the spiritual and the physical so much that when stuff happens, we just say it was natural occurrences. And, and I don't right, want, yeah. and I, and I, and I, and I hesitate to go down that, that rabbit trail because that's a hard rabbit trail to wrestle. We, we want to talk about the Bible here, but one, but one more thing I'll say is 
as I said before, people who want to read the Bible to understand who God is and to submit to him will want to know who he is. Whereas I think people who don't want to know who God is and who don't want to submit to him don't want to see that there is continuity between the two Testaments because they don't want to believe that there is a God. They want to have an excuse to say, Oh God is mean. God is wrathful. Therefore I don't want to believe this guy. He's a, he's, he's, he's terrible. How can God be all loving? I'm not going to follow him. And they're, you know, it's just, it's, it seems like it's an excuse to not follow God. Whereas somebody whose heart is warmed and tender towards God will say, I want to figure this out. I want to, I want to know why is God like this? And that's the heart that needs to come into a conversation like this. uh, Right. Because if you're going to come into a conversation like this saying God is mean and I don't want to have anything to do with him, then obviously this is not a conversation for you. Or would you agree with that? No, I think because you already have a preconceived idea of what you want to believe. I mean, you already think God is mean and not fair or judgmental or whatever you want to call it. And so you come in with that kind of lens. Well, obviously you're going to, everything you hear is going to be through that lens then. And interesting knowing what those two examples that you were kind of saying, the people who lied to the Holy Spirit, is that, I can't remember the two names, Ananias, Ananias, is that right? Yeah. And Sapphira. Yeah. And Sapphira. So they knowingly did something wrong and then lied about, right? So it was, and Herod, we don't really, I think, I feel like people don't really care about Herod as much because he wasn't really a good guy anyway. Do you mean like, do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, oh, those are the enemies of God. So in the Old Testament, we see people that seemingly do nothing wrong. Mm. I say seemingly because it's very kind of fuzzy if you don't know right. history yeah. of it. Yeah. And yet God's wrath is put upon them. And so hopefully, I was hoping today we can kind of just stare down the, the barrel of some of these and just kind of look at them and see what they're worth. Because I think there's like two, two that, well, there's three kind of examples. I think that are kind of the, the most graphic, I don't know if graphic is the right word, mm. but kind of out there. And one's in uh, Leviticus 10, where two sons of Aaron bring fire before the Lord. They're going to offer things to the Lord. So they're going to bring a sacrifice to the Lord is what they're doing. They do it wrongfully and then they get struck down. They bring wrong fire before the Lord and get struck down. It's kind of, there's this big scene after what's happening, but it seems pretty innocent. I mean, there are people who want to come worship God and they do it wrongly. And then the wrath of God is put upon them. And so I think that's a lot different than I stole, I lied about it. And then this, or I was persecuting Christians and then you got struck down. You mean, it's a lot, it's a different scenario. You know what I mean? They're seemingly doing a really good thing, like offering sacrifices to the Lord. And so there's that story. And then uh, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6, you get the story of Uzzah, who, the man who wanted to be the hero and saved the ark from touching the ground when it was falling off the ox cart. Mm. And he dies instantly as soon as he touches the ark. I think that, I think that one for me always got me when I was growing up because I thought he's, he's trying to save the place where God mm. resides with his people. He's, exactly. he's doing this noble, heroic yeah. thing. <laughs> and he dies. It's like, how? It doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think those are some. I think those are the two main ones. I mean, and then there's the idea of holy war. 
hmm. which might be a podcast totally on its own because <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot of things to deal with there mm-hmm. and we might be mm-hmm. do, maybe we'll do that if if people want to hear that one maybe we'll shout out if you want to hear that leave a comment or something but next um, next year i need like a year to prepare for that one. <laughs> well yeah but yeah but it draws into this too right when god right. says go wipe out all these people well it seems pretty wrathful right and i think there's more right well one behind that one uh, I, I can't remember where i heard this but i thought it was really interesting that you're you're talking about when the israelites are going into the promised land is that what you're referring to in that regard uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I would say yes, sure. Okay, because that. yeah, when they're told when they're told to wipe out all man, woman, child, like kill all the livestock or whatever, like whatever each. Mm-hmm. I can't say which each battle was, but yeah, stuff like that. Because I've I've heard uh, th- th- this is one view, and I thought it was really interesting that as the Israelites are going into the Promised Land, they were to subdue evil. They were to subdue the ungodly nations. And that was their uh, Adamic commission, just as Adam was commissioned to subdue the creatures in the garden that was transferred over to to Israel as they're going into the promised land, subdue uh, these ungodly nations. God didn't want the mixture in in the promised land. He wanted right. He wanted there to be purity uh, in in the land. I thought that was a really interesting view of things, but it's still, it's easy to think, oh, that just seems so harsh of God to say that. Why couldn't God just exile them to the other part of the world or something? Something like that, or or make yeah, just, them or make them holy. You know, why did he, why did he do that? Why did he command them yeah. to do such a thing? I mean, some of those also have to do with the long time delay. I mean, when Israel is going to wipe out some nations, like they had a chance to repent or they had a chance to move or they had a chance to let Israel through and didn't. And so some of them have a, there's this idea of this time, this long last long awaiting kind of judgment to come upon these people. And, and other examples of that are like Noah, right? Noah and the flood. They knew it was going to come. Noah was saying it was coming. He was obviously building a huge ark, right? And so there's kind of this long awaited time where people knew it was going to come, but no one really believed it. Like there's a long awaited kind of judgment. And that's why I think these these two stories that I mentioned in Leviticus and Second Samuel are really interesting because it's sudden and swift judgment. Like there's no um, long period of time, right? It's just like you do something wrong and all of a sudden that person is dead. Like just bang, bang, bang. Like just it's quick and swift and kind of disturbing because it's just, it doesn't seem like it makes any sense to us. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why these these two stories specifically kind of rub people the wrong way because it just seems so swift and kind of crucial and cruel i guess i don't know if that's the right, mm. right way to say that and so a question i want to pose is is there a way we can actually come to an understanding of these or is our answer just god is sovereign and we just have to kind of like do whatever with what happens like is there just kind of like a there's no explanation for it we just have to deal with it and move on kind of thing like is, is there a way to kind of wrestle with these ideas? Is there a way to kind of come to terms with what's happening and, and make sense of it? Oh, uh, absolutely. And with the help of our good buddy, the late Dr. Sproul, uh, R.C. Sproul, we can... Oh, yeah. Uh, he really helps reconcile these things. I remember when I read his book, The Holiness of God, for the first time, 
he brought a lot of clarity to what was happening, especially with that, with that, uh, yeah. with that, with the story of Uza. Yeah, why the heck would God judge Uza for for trying to grab the Ark, and and simply kind of had to do with he wasn't from the family line to do such a thing. He wasn't a Levite, and and so that was that's the main thing. He's he wasn't part of the family line to take care of the instruments of a part of the tabernacle. And also right. R.C. Sproul makes an interesting point. The, the Ark of the Covenant, it would have been better for it to land on God's earth than, than in an unholy hand, an unclean hand. I yeah. thought that's a really interesting way to reconcile uh, that, that particular incident. Do you want to comment on that? Well, I was just going to say, it kind of goes back to our episode on um, um, inherited sin, the idea of like everyone has that sin upon them. And I remember uh, I read the book a long time. I haven't reread this part, but the idea of has the, has the ground committed sin against God? Has the ground committed treason against God? Mm-hmm. And RC, no, the ground has not committed treason <laughs> against its creator, mm-hmm. where man has committed treason. Right? He mm-hmm. has tried to claim the throne. And I thought that was a really interesting kind of point to kind of push back on that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have more to say on that story, the Uzzah story? No, I, but I wanted to comment on Nadab and Abihu because you said, uh, and I, I think you were saying it a little, you were trying to be a little, uh, a bit witty, not witty, but you were trying to kind of entice us there a little bit by saying, they seemed like they were doing a good thing by worshiping. But yeah, yeah. it says that they offered up this strange fire, this profane fire. Uh, I've heard theories that they were likely drunk. Uh, they were, they were, oh, they wow. were doing, they were doing something that was not proper. They weren't just going into worship. They were doing things. They were doing something that was not right. And especially as priests, uh, what they were doing was uh, uh, abominable to the Lord. And he judged them. And 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 what does he say? To uh, God says to the people, I need to be considered holy before you. Don't take me for granted. Treat me with respect. But I mean, yeah, they were off. It, you're right. They were. It was a wrong sacrifice. It was wrong. Strange fire. They weren't worshiping with prostitutes like most other nations. They didn't have Asherah poles. They weren't offering child sacrifices to the Molech. Right? Like it. It seems. Just by reading the text, it doesn't seem like it's that bad. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it seems like, oh, they could have done a lot worse things, but they just brought the strange fire. Mm. But I do think you're right. And if we if we understand the text, I mean, this is, I mean, we don't know this for sure, but I mean, in Leviticus eight is when the priests are ordained, and this is two chapters later they do this thing. I would presume it's the same people who got the instructions on how to do things are now doing it wrongfully. And so that's kind of interesting that if we, I mean, I feel like we'd have a lot more sympathy for them if this was like eight generations later and they made this mistake. It's like, oh, well, it obviously wasn't passed on to them. But I'm pretty sure they got just, they had just gotten these instructions on how to do this. And they kind of took it into their own hands and did what they wanted. That's all kind of, I look at that story. I had, I had a couple of points on Uza, unless you had a couple more things you want to say on those two. Well, with those two fellows, I, I, I think I know what you're saying, but I don't think 
even if they did it eight generations down the line, it wouldn't. It, it, God's wrath against them would be justifiable because the text indicates that they offered up something that was improper as priests. Right. They shouldn't have been doing that. And so God's wrath was justifiable against these people who are set apart uh, for his purposes. Throughout the Old Testament, God judges people who he has set apart. He judges them for straying from his purposes not necessarily smiting right. them, but we even see that at the beginning of of, uh, of of the world, when he creates Adam and Eve, he sets them apart for his purposes. And when they don't do that, they, they're judged. We see that over and over again. When, when his people who are set apart don't follow his commands, they're judged. Nadab, I'm going to say Nabob, uh, Nahab and Abihu, uh, they don't, they don't follow those commands. Like they, they go and do their own thing and, and they're judged for that. Right. We see that even in judges where the people, it says the people did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And what happened? They were judged, but God showed compassion on them. That's, that's the key here. And I, and I, and I, I apologize if I'm getting ahead of, of you here, but we really need, no, to no, that's fine. but there's that balance here of, I think we see that really nicely in, in judges where they're, they're doing wrong. God says, okay, you know, you need to understand that you're not doing what's right. So he sends them off into judgment, but then he has compassion on them and delivers them from, from the people who he, he sends them into judgment by letting other nations kind of take over. And then he's, and then he sends somebody to deliver them from that. So there's, how does that play into Nidab and Abihu? He's showing the people. He's showing his people, I, I, I am holy, and I need to be right. treated as holy here. So don't, don't be reckless uh, when you're, so, especially, especially because they were in the tabernacle. They were in the holy of holies, especially right. because they were in the holy of holies. So to kind of bring that to, I mean, to kind of sober us up a little bit. So when we're worshiping God, I mean... They were basically, they're worshiping. That's what they were doing in the tabernacle. I was, I was uh, thinking about this. Huh? Well, maybe do we worship wrongly? Like, do you mean like when we bring worship to God, are we doing the mm. same thing that Ahab and Abihu are doing? I think that, it was kind of challenging me in my personal life. I mean, we don't have to make this personal or anything, but just, <laughs> I don't know, there's something to think about. It was like, geez, like if they got, if they did it wrongly and that, and, and God took it that seriously, my worship, obviously, he takes seriously too, right? And mm-hmm. maybe I should take it more seriously. Like I said, this isn't a devotional or anything. I'm not. I'm not saying this is like a pastoral kind of. It was just that was something that I was thinking of when I was looking at these things. Like, hmm, maybe, yeah, maybe we should be taking our worship more seriously. Oh yeah, you know what I mean, I mean, I, I I absolutely agree with that. We we do need to we do need to take our worship seriously. We we shouldn't bring our our sin. We we should be repenting as we're entering into worship. We should be asking yeah. for forgiveness every day. But there's still there's that wonderful reality that we worship through Jesus. We worship through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's why our worship is acceptable. Without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, without God the Father, our worship is meaningless. Uh, and so, thankfully, He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And again, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves here in this conversation, but but. 
thinking about this as New Testament believers, there is that reality where God's wrath has been appeased. And I know people don't like that language. That almost seems pagan where, you know, we have to do these, we have to make sure that these things are done so that the pagan God doesn't attack us. Right. Uh, Like whatever that may be, God's wrath has been appeased in the New Testament. Essentially, Right. We read that in Romans, Jesus has, has appeased God's wrath. We do not have to live in fear of facing wrath. We don't have to, we're not going to face future condemnation. That's, that's the thing here. Uh, when we read Revelation, we don't have to fear the things that are going to come. We don't have to fear God, God's wrath that's going to be poured out upon the world, that's going to be unleashed upon the world. We don't have to fear that. And that's been... The reality for God's people, essentially, I mean, he, he judged them because they were, they were sinful. Does God still judge us? Yes, I think he does still judge us, but he doesn't judge us in order. He, he doesn't judge us the same as he did. Like he doesn't, does, I don't think he smites us. He judges us in order that we would turn to him and, and repent. I think it's also the background of the Old Testament too. I mean, people who did it wrongfully, he smite, like he brought his wrath upon them but ultimately it was to turn the people to recognize no you guys you're doing this wrong like how these priests offered sacrifices that's wrong the fact you're carrying the ark of the covenant on a cart that's wrong you're not supposed to be doing these things like and who was carrying right all these things are he's trying to turn them and steer them back to no this is what you're supposed to be doing I think that's the same. I think it's the same. It's just it's different a different ways doing it. I in in the old mm-hmm. New Testament. Well, and one more thing I'll say is because uh, I, I took a, a class last week in Ruth and Jonah, and particularly with Jonah, when Jonah ran away from God, God essentially judged him uh, by sending that storm. When Jonah was on the boat and the great storm came, and he was and he was thrown into the ocean. That, that was part of God's plan. That was part of God's judgment on Jonah for right. running away from the plan. But God had great compassion on Jonah, interestingly, by sending the fish. The fish was the means of salvation. That was, Jonah's, that was God's compassion to Jonah. And also by showing compassion to Nineveh. You know, that's, that, that was the right. point of the whole book was, Jonah, go tell Nineveh to repent. And if, and, and if they don't, I'm going to send my judgment. They repent and God shows compassion. Like that's a story of God's compassion. We see God's compassion more than I think we do his wrath. Even in the law, the way that he lays out his laws, he says, have compassion on the foreigner, have compassion on, on the poor, on the weak, have compassion. Like that is very much a God of compassion and not a yeah. God of wrath. Yeah, and I mean, the book of Hosea is a, per, a great example of that too, right? Like, I mean, it's a metaphor and it's a real story, I think, as well. But just the idea of like mm. Israel continually prostituting themselves out to other things, and yet God continually brought them back into this like time and time again. I think sometimes we miss those stories and miss the the love, the patience, the compassion mm. of God when we focus on these other stories. God's wrath, right? We don't we don't see the patience of God as much. If I if I may just jump back to that story of Uzzah and the in the the Ark of the Covenant, 
I mean, the compassion there and the patience God had there was extreme. If we, if we know what was supposed to happen. Um, now let's go through quickly. I mean, they're supposed to carry the ark. They weren't supposed to put it on a cart. And yet they put it on a cart. It's supposed to be covered. It seemingly wasn't covered. Hmm. Even if, even if Uzzah was a Kohathite, he wasn't supposed to look at the ark. He was supposed to just carry it, right? He wasn't, if he was a Kohathite, we don't know if he was or wasn't. And there's, there's all these things that they did wrong. And yet it wasn't actually until he touched it that he died. In Numbers, it says, if you look at the ark, you will die. He obviously mm. could look upon it. He didn't die. And so, I mean, there's, there's compassion in that story. You see, like, God is so patient with his people. Like, they're not supposed to do these things. And yet they did a whole bunch of these things. And it wasn't until he actually touched it that he died. And so there actually is a thread of compassion there. And, I mean, you, you, people can look up the verses themselves and kind of see where it is. But number seven talks about, like, uh, Moses giving out all these ox carts to people. He says, but you don't, Kothites, you don't get any because you're supposed to carry everything on your shoulders. You're not supposed to get any of these ox carts. Mm. And so there's, there's threads that we see. It's like, oh, and if we understand that, I think we can see. Well, God was very patient with them there. He was very patient with them. He didn't, mm. he said, you will die if you look upon the ark. And mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't until he actually touched it. So I think there's, there's compassion in that story as well hmm. that we do wrong to miss if we don't do our fair research, I guess. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think of Isaiah uh, when he has the vision in the temple and he says, holy, 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 my, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the angel right. comes in and puts the, I can't quite remember. He put that hot piece of whatever. Coal. <laughs> that, yeah. That coal. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, he put that hot piece of coal on his lips and made him clean. The reason I think about that is people are unclean. People are unholy. And that's why God judges people really is because of their unholiness. I, I, it goes back to what R.C. Sproul has said over and over again. He is God, and we are not. We could easily say, who are we to question God? Who are we to question right. what he does? He is righteous. It's, it's an easy way to just say anything that God does is not, is not unrighteous. Everything that God does is righteous. Everything he does is meticulous. It's well thought out. It's not, it's not, just, it's not random. That's what we have to remember here. Right. Everything that God does is not a random thing. He doesn't just get angry and and then, you know, out of his anger, accidentally kill somebody. It's because right. of his, it, it, out of his wrath, out of his, he wants to be treated holy. He wants to, he, he, he needs to be treated holy. But he's compassionate. As you're saying, he's a compassionate God. Right. Well, I think, I think that points to something else. Like, I guess that R.C., like you said, Sproul in his book, he kind of, I guess he kind of was the, uh, the enticer to do this episode. I mean, he, he, he talks about it really well. But he said, it's almost like God saying, like, be careful. Like, while, while you're enjoying the benefits of my grace, don't forget there's justice here. I'm just. I will bring justice. Don't forget your sin. Remember, I am holy. These things are important. Mm-hmm. And I think they, they do intertwine. I think we should remember even today like yeah we, we benefit from the grace of god and the mercy of god for our salvation we benefit greatly however we shouldn't forget the justice the wrath the the holiness of god mm-hmm. today i think those things are mm-hmm. they're 
we have to remember both of them. I think they're absolutely they're vital to each other. I think, and I think I think the way that we consider God's holiness, the way that we reverence God today, I think I said this before, is how much do we grieve our sin? How much do we actually take our sin seriously? Honestly, do we take our sin seriously? Does the church take their sin seriously? Are we grieving? over what's happening in society today. There, there are injustices happening all around the world. And are we, are we grieving that? I think that's one way where we take God's holiness seriously. He is so holy that he, he does not want, he, he cares about the people who are facing injustice and he wants justice right. to be done. He's not just letting people get away with stuff. As human beings, we need to make sure that people come to justice, uh, that, that he's, he's ordained that. And he's also going to bring justice to those who have done injustices to people. So I think those are, two, those are two things of how we take God's holiness and his wrath seriously today. God's wrath for, for us as Christians, it's been appeased uh, right. by Jesus Christ. And so we live in freedom of that. We have been set free from sin uh, and we don't have to live in fear of God, you know, smiting us down. I might go outside and a tree might fall on me or something. Was that God's judgment on me? Maybe, but I have confidence that I am his child. You know, it, yeah, I, I don't, yeah. I, I think, I think he sends things our way. God chastises those whom he loves. That, that uh, goes back to Hebrews. Right. Yep. Um, he does that. He sends things, whatever that may look like. I'm not sure. He sends things our way. He lets things happen so that we would, that we would always rely on him. And so I think I'm kind of making a differentiation here between judgment, like between the, between judgment for a Christian and judgment for a non-Christian, because judgment, I don't know. Can I make that differentiation? I'm kind of just thinking out loud here, I guess, is what I'm doing. Um, (sighs) No, I think there is a differentiation there. I think, I think you do well to say that how, I like how you said that, that you have a tree falls on you. If you die tomorrow, you've, I still have confidence that I'm a child of God, right? I'm saved. I have my salvation is with Christ. I know that. And like you said, it could be the judgment of God. Like we don't know. Ultimately, we don't know, but I would hope that it might, even that event would steer people to repentance, steer people to mm. taking things more seriously. You know, like, you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. our lives mm-hmm. on this earth are serious. We need to do something with them because we don't know when the end is going to come for us. So it's kind of, I think it might be a wake-up call to people. I'm not, I'm not saying that's why God does things. I'm not advocating that at all. I mean... I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's wrong though, that the judgment for a believer and a non-believer is different. Hmm. I'm sure someone would disagree with that. Right. Someone smarter than me probably. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I guess what I'm, um, what I'm saying is that for the Christian, we, we won't face the ultimate judgment, which is eternal condemnation. As a Christian, we will, we avoid that conduct. We avoid that judgment. The judgment that I'm talking about for a Christian, what I'm thinking about is, because I, I think Peter talks about this. Judgment comes first for God's people, I think is what he's talking about. But what he's, but 
think about who he's writing to, people who are being persecuted, people who are suffering for their faith. So in a way, he's saying that's judgment, but that's not judgment saying God is against you. That's judgment right. of God is trying to refine you. God is bringing this. Uh, I'm thinking about language Peter's using. He's bringing this fire to refine you, to make you more holy. So it, it just seems like there's two different, whereas judgment to non-Christians is God is against you. And maybe he is trying to right. bring you into his fold. I don't know. This is this right. is honestly a lot of just thinking out loud right now, uh, which is... No, it's fine. Yeah. That's good. Hey, that's <laughs> good. It's all good. Well, to end this, just kind of to wrap it all up, so justice of God in the Old Testament, we would say it's just a different understanding of the wrath of God, judgment of God. It's a different understanding of how God works, different understanding of his character rather than different character. Or would you still say that the wrath of God is more prominent in the old than the new? See, I think where I land on it is I think it's just we understand it. We don't fully understand the Old Testament. Therefore, we fully don't understand the character of God in the Old Testament. That's how I kind of look at it. And so we see these events and we just think, oh, that's so wrathful. Oh, that's so mean. That's so (laughs) judgmental. God is mean. I think. I just think that we don't fully understand it. Therefore, that's kind of our go-to, right? Whereas the New Testament, we like to think we understand it more. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But And so we are more okay with harshnesses. Also, like you said, and there is an essence of we don't have to worry about that judgment. The wrath of God was appeased by Christ. And so I think that's where I land. I don't, I don't think mm. it's different. I don't think certain ones are, maybe they are highlighted more, but I think it's just the under, our understanding of them is kind of skewed a little bit. Yeah, uh, God doesn't change in the New Testament. Uh, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent his son. Uh, it wasn't that Jesus was saying, Father, Father, you know, I'm, I'm going to give myself, so can you just stop? It was God the Father saying, I want you to go right. and die for these people. It was out of his love, and we see that thread of love. I think we see that thread of love throughout the Old Testament a lot more than his wrath. We just see these stories of wrath, and we think, oh, my goodness, these are crazy. Uh, but we really have to yeah. understand the gravity of, of sinfulness. Um, I, I always say, for God so loved the world that he commanded Noah to build an ark. Uh, I'm kind of inversing what's happening there. It was, it was God's love right. for the world. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, he was judging the world, but he was also, he also loved the world so much that he wanted to preserve humanity. Yeah. We see that on the cross. We see God's judgment and we see his love on the cross. We see those two things coming together just as we see at the ark. And to throw another wrench in this plan though, I mean, we haven't talked about holy war. Um, That is something that, that does Pull, push against the idea of seeing God's love. It does seem very wrathful. But right. like I said, we can talk about that at a different podcast because else this one's going to go on forever. But uh, if you want to yes. listen to that, leave a comment, leave a post, email yes. us, whatever. Let us let us know if you want to hear about that. We'll we'll uh, definitely do it. Yes, yes, indeed. We would love to hear if you would want us to talk about that. But again, thank you everybody for listening today. We so appreciate it. Uh, I say that every, mm-hmm. we, we both say that every week, but we do, uh, we enjoy doing these things and we're just thankful that people uh, want to keep listening. 
So please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you don't like what we're doing here, then give us a bad rating because we want to know, should we keep doing this? Uh, also share on Facebook and Twitter. We really depend on you, our listeners, in order to advertise the PonderCast because we want others to join in this conversation as well. So we want you to be part of this mission of helping people to think differently. And, and I mean, this, is a, this episode we just did, this might be a good thing to share with unbelievers. Hopefully this can be something that helps them uh, figure out God's wrath. But you, again, you can give us feedback or episode ideas by emailing us at perrysponderings at gmail.com. Uh, you can also do that. Uh, you can give us feedback, episode ideas on Facebook and Instagram and at Perry's Ponderings. Uh, and you can join the conversation on our Facebook page and on Instagram with the question, how do we wrestle? How do we reconcile God's wrath in the Old Testament? How should we grapple with God's wrath in the Old Testament? If there's other things in this episode that you want to comment on, please leave that comment as well. You can also leave us a voice message on our podcast host website. You can go to anchor.fm slash the pondercast and leave us a voice message. And we'd love to include that in a future episode for more ponderings. Check out perrysons.com. Thanks again. And until next week, keep pondering folks.